Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So as I um, was was looking, I looked through lots of different talks uh, that I'd given over time. Just sloth and torpor didn't quite do it. I didn't have anything particular that was coming up for me. Um, so then I, I went through to one of my favorite books. This is called The Teachings of the Buddha, and it's a, an anthology uh, that Jack Cornfield and Gil Fransdell put together. It's kind of like the Buddha's greatest hits um, from both, uh, from uh, all three traditions, Theravadan tradition and then uh, the Mahayana Zen tradition and the Tibetan tradition, Vajrayana, uh, really classic teachings. And in fact, um, in a couple of weeks, I think I'm going to, I, I, I do want to go through my favorite Dharma wisdom uh, and give a series. I did that uh, many years ago um, on verses on the faith mind. That's the, the third Zen patriarch uh, of China, the one that starts out, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences, if you're familiar with that line. Um, that's in here. All Many, many um, classical teachings are in here. But um, one teaching that um, kind of struck me that for some reason it struck me, I wanted to share. It's a very uh, simple discourse from um, the Pali Canon from the Samyutta Nikaya. And the Samyutta Nikaya is one, it's one of five collections of the Buddha's teachings, Samyutta Nikaya. Samyutta means connected discourses. And um, that's what, there's two thick books of Samyutta. And this is... Uh, very simple and uh, lovely teaching. I just lost it here. On 88. The Bamboo Acrobats. <clears throat> it's just a, a page, so I'll, I'll read it and then we can talk about it. On a certain occasion, the Buddha was dwelling in the Sumba country in a township of the Sumbas called Sedaka. Actually, it's spelled like Neil Sedaka. You know. um, anybody thinking of breaking up is hard to do? Um, called Sedaka. There, the exalted one addressed the monks. <clears throat> Once upon a time, monks, a bamboo acrobat set up his pole and called to his pupil, Metakatalika, saying, come, my lad, Metakatalika, climb the pole and stand on my shoulders. All right, master, replied the pupil to the bamboo acrobat. The student then climbed the pole and stood on his master's shoulder. Then, monks, the bamboo acrobat said to his pupil, now, Metakatalika, my lad, you protect me well, and I shall protect you. Thus, watched and warded by each other, we will show our tricks, get a good fee, and come down safe from the bamboo pole. 
At these words, Metakatalaka, the pupil, said to the bamboo acrobat, No, no, that won't do, Master. You look after yourself, Master, and I'll look after myself. Thus watched and warded, each by himself, we'll show our tricks, get a good fee, and come down safe from the bamboo pole. Therein, that is the right way, said the Buddha. Just as Metakatalaka, the pupil, said to his master, I'll protect myself, so monks, should the foundation of mindfulness be practiced. I'll protect others, so should the foundation of mindfulness be practiced. Protecting oneself, monks, one protects others. Protecting others, one protects oneself. And how, monks, does one in protecting oneself protect others? By frequent practice, development, and making much of the foundations of mindfulness. Thus, monks, in protecting oneself, one protects others. And how does one in protecting others protect oneself? By forbearance, by nonviolence, by loving kindness, by compassion. Thus, in protecting others, one protects oneself. I shall, pro- I shall protect myself with this intention, monks, the foundation, foundations of mindfulness should be practiced. I shall protect others with this intention, the foundations of mindfulness should be practiced. Protecting oneself, one protects others. Protecting others, one protects oneself. I, uh, the first time I read that, that discourse, uh, first I thought it was kind of interesting that the pupil tells the master the right way. Isn't that interesting? You think that somebody who is an, an expert acrobat would kind of get the idea as he's telling his, his pupil uh, of the right way to do it. But uh, there's something really um, instructive just about that, that just because somebody is the authority doesn't necessarily mean that they've got all the right answers, that whoever's got the, the wisdom, doesn't matter what mouth it comes out of, when it's wisdom, it's wisdom. And the Buddha says... No, protecting oneself. You protect yourself. Instead of looking out and seeing how the other guy is doing and saying, oh, no, 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 you should, you should do it this way or maybe you should do it that way or watch out. He says, take care of yourself. And if you take care of yourself in that way, you're not going to be causing harm to the other. And by protecting the other, you protect the other through your caring, through your patience, through your forbearance, through your uh, nonviolence. That is how you protect the other. Now, 
this doesn't mean that if somebody is steering themselves into into a, a ditch, uh, you you don't open up your mouth. But often we can be so concerned with how others around us are doing, seeing oh they're messing up there. You know they've they've got to get their act together. You know watch out. Watch out for them. They, they, they don't quite have their act together. Uh, and the implicit end of that sentence, you can probably guess, like I do, you know, at least in this particular situation. Uh, how often we do that? How often we look outside of ourselves and see, gee, if only they were different. Does that thought ever occur to you? (laughs) Gee, if only they were a little bit more patient. If only they were um, clearer in their speech. If only they were... Now, of course, there's room for improvement for... I'd say just about everybody in some ways. But if the tendency is to look outside and see how they're in need of fixing, well, if that becomes, if that's your approach, then you're missing out on um, the most important way to protect them. And that is to uh, take care of business at home. <clears throat> One of my old friends, uh, uh, haven't thought about this in years and years, back in Flushing, my friend Gabriel used to say, take care of your head and the universe will take care of you. Um, and uh, there's something to that. Actually, there's a, a, a line that Manindraji used to say, the Dharma protects those that protect the Dharma. And it's a, it's a, a classic line. I think that is from, from um, the Pali Canon somewhere. I'm not sure. But if you protect the Dharma, that is, if you do what you can to live in a Dharmic way, then life seems to... Um, care for you in a in a uh, in a wise, kind, um, um, benevolent way. Not always, you know. You, there's no guarantees. This is not like, oh, if I'm a good boy or I'm a good girl, then everything's going to turn out all right. That's that's you know a little bit too simplistic. But that if you take care, uh, if you protect the Dharma, there's actually a kind of trust that you can meet the moment however it is, whatever life is serving you up, and you're more in harmony with with life, and so you can navigate a bit better because your mind isn't so contracted trying to control experience. So it does seem to, to work out that way. But this business about not looking outside of yourself for the problem. When you do, when you say, oh, if only they were, 
what you're really doing is uh, giving up your power. You're saying, there. it's because of them that, whatever, I'm frustrated, I'm... I'm I'm uh, deterred. I'm I can't do, and um, it's really a disempowerment that that you do to yourself. Mm. In the um, in the book How We Choose to Be Happy that I, I use for the Joy Course, uh, written by Rick Foster and, and Greg Hicks, one of the choices one of the nine choices that they found common to uh, extremely happy people is what they call accountability. Accountability. And uh, they define accountability um, as the choice to to assume full personal responsibility for our actions for our actions, thoughts, and feelings, and the emphatic refusal to blame others for our own unhappiness. The insistence on seeing ourselves as having control over our own lives rather than being at the receiving end of circumstance. This is basic Buddha, Buddha Dharma, Buddhism 101, where you see, I mean, that's what I think the Buddha was, was saying. Ultimately, he's saying, don't, don't look outside of yourself. You have the wisdom inside, and you have the love inside, and you have the compassion inside. You have all the resources that you need to create the well-being that you're looking for. Certainly, there are certain circumstances that make it more challenging than others, but we all know uh, people who have risen above the, the most challenging circumstances and somehow their light shines. And in fact, they're a, a more powerful, brighter light because they have risen, have transcended or, or broken through or, or deepened their understanding through those difficulties. And we also know people who are uh, blessed with wonderful circumstances that haven't found happiness because they're looking outside of themselves for it. The Buddha was saying, it's right inside. Uh, I remember um, uh, a favorite line from Christmas Humphreys, who is this, he did a lot of writing about Buddhism uh, that stuck in my mind. He said, the one, the one miracle that this path has to offer is a change of heart. That's the real miracle. It's not that, oh, everything is going to work out just the way you want, but our relationship to experience, if we can train ourselves to have a, a wise perspective with experience, then um, this is the miracle of, of practice. And I wanted to uh, uh, maybe read a couple of accountability pieces, and then we can explore it to, uh, with ourselves. This is from Sophocles, a couple of quotes. It is a painful thing to look at your own trouble and know that you yourself and no one else has made it. Sophocles. 
Uh, there was one that I really liked. Helen Keller, self-pity is our own worst enemy, and if we yield to it, we can never do anything wise in this world. Gertrude Stein, let me listen to me and not to them. There's one. Erica John, oh yeah. Take your life in your own hands and what happens? A terrible thing. No one to blame. (laughs) So um, how do we get in touch with this accountability? How do you, in fact... um, let, let's just explore together a little bit, and then and then we'll open up to discussion. Just uh, once you reflect for a moment, you might do a quiet reflection and see um, when do you tend, when might you look outside for the problem? See if there's any particular situation in your life where you tend to blame another if only it would be they would be different or the circumstance and not to deny that there are difficult circumstances but where you give up your power and if you uh, get in touch with something See how could how could you bring a perspective of accountability to the situation? What could you bring to it, or what attitude could you allow that would mitigate the victim? stance. How could you empower yourself? And then uh, let's take a situation where you do take responsibility, where you're not looking outside, perhaps where you're saying, It's up to me to make this happen. Maybe there's a quality of undauntedness or of of just taking a deep breath and saying, okay, got to do this. And notice how it feels when you do, when you're not looking outside. What allows you to take on that empowerment. And how is it for everyone around you when you do? Notice the energy field that you might create. 
Okay. Um, let's just check in for uh, a few minutes on this, and then we can open it up. There's one. There's one piece that I want to share with you uh, after we have a little discussion. But anything that comes up from your reflection on either how you give up your power by looking outside or take on your power. Yeah, it's, uh, Claudia. Well, a couple, a couple of things come to mind. One, I, in my family, we had an at-risk member, um, and I came to realize that I couldn't change my child. It was my daughter. Um, but I could only change myself and how I acted, spoke, um, and was with her. Um, and I've... Um, I've I've sort of talked about child rearing with my kids and come to um, try and impart to them that you know when your child is having a problem, mm-hmm. um, you have to look at what you're doing. It's not your child's problem; it's your problem. You know, you have to look at yourself. And there was one situation where um, my daughter I, I I would see my grandson on this one day and my daughter would come home from work and she was tired and you know he was so happy to see her and he'd uh, you know race to the door and you know climb all over her and she just you know and she pushed him away and I said you know um, he really misses you and if you just take one minute and get down to his level and say, I'm so happy to see you and I, you know, I um, I just need a minute to land and then we'll have all evening together. And it made an enormous difference. And it wasn't the child's problem. It was how she reacted. And um, the solution was, you know, it came from her. It came from how she responded to the to her son, and um, you know, it solved the problem very simply. So I think, you know, really knowing that um, you can't change somebody, you can only change how you are is sort of the kind of the undertext of it. Mm-hmm. And there are ways to communicate what what's in your heart, and uh, you know, whether or not the other person can hear it, um, sometimes is out of our hands. But the energy that you come with mm-hmm. uh, makes all the difference. So, and as you're saying that, something that that really uh, that comes up for me is the uh, is the equanimity practice. As much as you might want somebody to to change because you care so deeply about them, um, if it's tormenting you and they're not ready to change, it, it's not it's not up to you to rescue them. And that's where you at least are taking care of yourself. And wishing them well, but not being torn up by it or enabling, being codependent or whatever. Rescuing. Rescuing them. And that's where you have some... Yeah, you, you are up to you. You are up to you, yeah. yeah. And that equanimity practice, it's so profound when, you're, when you care so much, particularly around kids, you know, that's... that's, that's you know that's the the final exam. You know, can can you let can you let your kid just find their own way, or maybe even not find their own way? And uh, if they if you've done everything you can to just care and, and model and what and model and model, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 
I'm just going to intercept the microphone for a second to say yeah. that Pegasus Books on Solano, uh, as of a few days ago, had several copies of that Jack Cornfield Teachings of the Buddha for $7. Oh, great. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. There's also a small Shambhala pocket edition in purple for like $6. <laughs> but this is a good one because this has the uh, table of contents in it too. Great. What else? Anything coming up? Yeah. Well, I had an interesting experience before I came here tonight, actually, and um, I'm trying to build a conscious household where I'm living right now with three other people, and I'm just presenting this whole idea, of, which I actually got off of all the talks that you gave about that household you had one time had that seemed kind of conscious, and uh-huh. and so I've been doing that in a little bit NVC um, as well. And um, so I'm wanting to build community because I want community. I want, like, family. My kids are grown and gone. And um, so tonight I just, um, everybody was going in every other direction, and I was really needing community. And um, I was upset, and I found myself upset. And I had to just, like, check in and go, okay, you know, you're not getting... I'm not getting my fulfillment of community for the moment, and I just became really compassionate with myself. I think I had to do that, mm-hmm. and that's probably the taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I thought, instead of like going over in my mind about these people, <laughs> I was like, I'm just gonna make a soup, you know? And I'm just like, made this soup, and then people started coming around because mm. it started smelling good and grabbing. <laughs> grabbing the soup. But at first I wanted to say, oh, you're going to have the soup and run out the door, you know. And, but I was like, I was just, let it go. You know, I mean, I am doing something to build community. Beautiful. And it just needs, you know, whatever, it's enough. Mm, it's, food mm. is, you know, a huge community builder. And it was, and I just thought, and I was like very sad actually coming over here. I think I don't have the life I have. I don't have the life I want. And I went, but I have a good life. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's like, it takes time to build community also. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen overnight, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm pretty new to this community in Berkeley in general. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it was just great. like, okay. Yeah. But, you know, but it was really important that I also also recognize, feel my feelings because, and not run from them yeah. because, you know, just to sit with them so I could drop into my heart instead of, my head, which wants to cause chaos mm-hmm. with other and, and fighting with other people, I could mm-hmm. learn to drop in my heart and just go, "Ow, oh, I just, I'm missing something here, you mm-hmm. know. So what can I do?" And mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. "Make soup, take my vitamins, go to a Dharma talk." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great, thank you. That's that's beautiful. And uh, and at some point, a, a lot of times, it's the expectations that get get in the way, you know. If, oh, come on, it'll be so good. I know that the left... Uh, and the more you try to push your agenda, you know, how does it feel for somebody to push their agenda on you? Oh, great, I'd love to join, yeah. Thanks for the invitation, right? But the energy that you, that you came out just making the soup and offering from that, that good space, then people want to move in to that energy field it's so interesting. Sometimes I think there's a secret answer, you know, for almost every situation. And and often the answer does come down to just loving, just loving more. Whether or not it's the 
it, it will turn out the way you want. It'll feel good if you can get into the and first feel your feelings, as you say, feel all the the pain and all the wanting, you know, and then somehow shining through that is just wanting to love without without the agenda. Ah, and then people want to move into that field. That's so. That's a wonderful story. Thanks. Any uh, anything else that comes up? Well, here's here's the the um, question that I ask myself uh, that I often invite others to um, to ask, and that is uh, when when things are hard out there, or you're you're not knowing how to navigate or how to get what you want or how to often you don't we don't ask ourselves what we really need. And I find that asking the question, what do I need right now for myself, within myself? Not what do I need necessarily that they're going to give me, but what do I need to, to thrive? That's actually the question I ask. What do I need to give myself right now? So often the question itself invites a wisdom inside. Instead, what do I need? Oh, it's not. I don't need for them to be different who they, than who they are. If that's what I need, I'm setting myself up for a lot of problems. But if it's I need to take care of myself, just like that bamboo acrobat, how can I take care of myself without causing harm out there but just really nourishing myself inside so that then I've got more to give for, uh, to everybody outside. Um, I find that's the, that's the key bamboo acrobat question. What do I need to give myself? What do I need to take care of myself? Not, yeah, and I'm going to get it, but just coming from a place of love, asking that to your own heart. Um, so we have some time. I'd like to, I'd like you to just uh, I'd like to talk or uh, have it open to uh, questions about practice. You might just uh, think for a moment any particular areas of practice that um, that you're trying to sort out or get a deeper understanding or work with. Kind of Dharma issues are coming up for you. What's your forward edge of of learning these days, or your practices alive, or wants to come alive? And if uh, you get in touch with something, any particular formulation of a question or, or a, a comment that we can all explore together or benefit from.
Okay. Deborah. Um, you touched on this a little bit last week with um, your description of your little ray gun routine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, were you talking about <laughs> how you'd have certain kind of awful thoughts and you would have this imaginary ray gun that you'd kind of just shoot it out of your sky mind? With love. With love, oh, yeah. Thinking. <laughs> yeah. And I've been <laughs> practicing kind of in my just day-to-day life um, doing something kind of similar, like a, um, in some ways like a little bit of a violent move against some negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding it's really helping a lot. Um, and it's not something that I've been able to do before, and it's something I think that's emerged from some of my practice here and just more spaciousness. But I just am wondering kind of what, um, is there a practice that you do around that where, you know, there's, I oftentimes will just sit and and notice, right? I think of this practice as about noticing a lot. But what about the, for me, it's kind of like a karate chop, like mm-hmm. block. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is actually um, in one discourse of the Buddhas. I forget if we've done it here recently in the uh, the discourse on removal of distracting thoughts and the the five uh, techniques that the Buddha has for dealing with distracting thoughts. And one of them is like driving a stake through it, or something. One of them is uh, with with tongue, with teeth clenched and tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth, one crushes mind with mind. I think I took that and ran with it. (laughs) And he says that can be a skillful means. And as I I say, when you do that way, there's got to be some kind of love behind it. Because if it's frustration or anger, it's like a, a parent... Um, firmly telling a kid, you can't run out in the street. No. Or sometimes you just say, you know, Trungpa um, Rinpoche used to have this expression, fierce compassion, not idiot compassion, fierce compassion, where you say, no. And you can do that with your own mind. Sometimes. You're the one that has to see whether you're getting more contracted in that or it's an empowerment that, that your wisest part, that wise parent, is saying, no, little uh, little one. For, for me, the, the image that I, I sometimes have is um, uh, not letting fear, they, those thoughts are usually based in fear, the, the small ones that confuse us, not letting fear um, be in the driver's seat. Right? You, you put it in the passenger seat, you put a seatbelt around it, maybe a helmet around it, and say, yes, we honor you, we respect you, but you're, you don't get the keys to the car. You're not driving. And, 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 and letting, letting wisdom drive. And so you say, I'm sorry, you know, I love you, I honor you, you're not in control here, and we'll, we'll give you the love that you need in your own time. And if you can do it that way, uh, then it can be really skillful. And so, you know, run with it. And you have to keep on inquiring when it starts getting to be tight or there's a frustration that's built up. Because really, what, that, what you're dealing with is a voice of confusion that doesn't know any better. Just like with a little child. You don't say, 
damn it, come on. It's, it, well, you might say, uh, yeah, <laughs> let's be real, you can say that. But in your better moments, you say, and you realize, oh, she doesn't know any better, or he doesn't know any better. So, sorry, yes, and we're, we're, we're taking charge here. I think it's really skillful means. And uh, say, tell your name again. My name's Julia. Julia. Um, what that actually just brought up. A little was, closer. Yeah. Um, I kind of have this tendency of like, kind of like sometimes I over exaggerate some emotions when I'm coming into a difficult situation, mm-hmm. and I, I kind of, I used to kind of more suppress it, and now I'm more letting them flow. But I feel like right now that letting flow is kind of a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was wondering if you can go through the other four, because I don't feel like I'm <laughs> <laughs> to a point where I could actually... <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, for, for one, if you're, if you're aware, if you start to be aware, maybe you're just getting a little bit more juice out of this than, than you need to. And sometimes we do that because it's very invigorating and alive and oh there's it's it's juicy here and you know there there can be a almost like a catharsis um, that we go for if a natural catharsis happens on its own uh, that's 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 great but you know if you're making it happen that's that's a little extra then it's you with an agenda here so just to to notice that and monitor that the other ones in that that discourse um, are substitution, so uh, substituting a wholesome quality for an unwholesome quality. So, for instance, if you're uh, very angry, right, and you're letting your rage out, yeah, and it's just kind of getting a little, spilling over a bit too much, then you might practice um, some loving kindness towards yourself or to somebody else and just cool out a bit or uh, some equanimity practice, you know, just substituting a wholesome for for the, the so-called unwholesome state. Or if you're lusting after somebody, you know, and, oh, I just have to... You reflect on impermanence and on, is this really going to do it for me, you know, or how am I going to feel in, you know, six months if I do this right now, you know, so you look at the the, the far end, uh, how you look back. So that's one, is the substitution. Another one is um, seeing, the, um, seeing the danger in going down that road. Like you see, oh, it's the, uh, it's the, you know, what's coming, relationship melancholy story, whatever, you know. <laughs> And do I want to go down there again? And sometimes that can give you a little bit when you see, oh, this is, I don't have to jump, jump on that train. And just kind of naming it uh, can give you a little bit of, of hesitation or just, just pause. That can be coupled with a, the, a third technique, which is called forgetfulness and inattention. Yeah, this is the Buddha taught forgetfulness and inattention. You know. Isn't that comforting? You know, forgetfulness and inattention means if you're getting hooked on a particular 
story or train of thought or emotion that just keeps on getting pressed and it's not like it's purifying you just kind of like getting that rut deeper in your in your mind and in your heart he says turn your attention elsewhere to something else that's happening in the moment or that's that's in your experience like for instance uh, it's different from substitution where you're thinking of something wholesome you just say turning your attention to uh, listening to sounds, to something else that's really here, or to um, the, 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 the nature around you. So you're paying attention, but not feeding that particular trip. And then the fourth one is what's called stilling the formations, where uh, one way to think of it is just chilling out a bit. The, the images. Well, if you're walking and you say, "Why don't? What if I don't walk? What if I just stand?" And then he says, "Oh well, what if I instead of standing, what if I just sit?" And then then the Buddha says, "Well, what if I?" If you might say to yourself, "What if I? Why do I sit? What if I just lie down?" He's saying, you know, kind of just relax, take it easy, get some space, so that you can have a little bit more ease and and spaciousness with this. So really, in that discourse, he's saying, basically, whatever works. Whatever works to get some balance so you're not swept up by the story. If you can be with it directly and uh, be present with it and not, um, not confused or swept away with it, that's the most profound. Then you're seeing clearly what's going on. But if you tend to make it a bit more than it needs to, you've got to find, it's helpful to find some way to get some balance so you're not struggling with this, whether it's turning your attention elsewhere or having a different relationship with it. I've noticed this week that I've been uh, struggling in a kind of familiar situation that I used to have with my son, who's now living on his own. But somehow I manifested a a very young intern, uh, and and uh, he has a much quicker mind than mine. And and um, he likes to argue about everything. So every assignment I give him, he turns around to an, into a an argument. And so I'll say, "Can we work on a solution? Can we find a solution?" And then he'll send me you know, like two typewritten pages, and then get angry because I didn't read sentence number thirteen and this kind of stuff so that I find myself exhausted and I'm wanting to just, uh, I'm wanting to be compassionate with him, but I also am seeing that there's some dynamic there that I have, I can't seem to uh, settle down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How old is he? 23. Mm-hmm. And um, what do you need? In that situation, what do you need? To I'm cry needing for some. I'm just needing peace, and I guess would like 
would like you know him to be supportive to to let's work on a solution instead of him proving that he has the right answer and he feels that if i have a different opinion to what he suggests that he comes back like the lawyer's case okay so you were saying you need what was it that you, the first thing that you needed some, some peace some and peace. a sense of where a team, we're working together, uh, not like it's a trial. Now, that, that, will, that will depend upon him being a certain way, him acting a certain way. Well, so, yeah. if you, it, other than what you can get from him, or if he doesn't act that way, I mean, that, that would be the optimal one, and, and, and which you can say, this is, what, this is what I need if we're going to work on whatever assignment it is. That, that's... That's fair enough to say, but if he says no, I'm I'm sorry, I'm not ready to be on the team. I I would rather be you know uh, on a debate with you. Then what do you need then? I don't I don't know. I need to do something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, yesterday I just said. I just really don't want to have an argument about this, and I just started working on something else. And How was that? Well, uh, it was interesting. He came into my office about an hour later and said, I'm only doing this job to get a good recommendation, and I don't think I'm going to get a good recommendation. So, <laughs> Seriously, these are his exact words. <laughs> and maybe I should leave. So... Uh, yeah, maybe I should have said. <laughs> Out of the mouths of mouths of babes, you know. Yeah, you don't have to be carrying both of you. That's where you, you don't have to give up your power and say, if only he would be different and really be a team, then it would be so much fun to work together. And you know, you don't need that. And if, if, if it's up to him to decide to show up, then great. That's, that's empowering him, too. And if he doesn't want to do it, then that's empowering him as well and empowering you. But if your happiness is dependent on him look, doing it just the way you want, you know, that, that's a perfect setup for him. He's getting exactly what he wants. Because he wants to debate. So, great. I can play with mom. You know? <laughs> Only it doesn't sound like it's a whole lot of fun for you. So, come back to yourself. How would that be? Yeah. You have much more power. The funny thing is... When you say this is this is what works for me, you know, and I wish you well if it doesn't work for you. Often the person will move into your space. Well, hold on, wait, wait, hold on a moment. Well, not not so fast, you know. It's in in sales they say uh, it's called taking it away a little, you know. <laughs> you, you know, if you want somebody, you know, you're gonna love this. Please take this, you know. Then this, ah, but if but if you say, you know. 
It's really good. It might not be your thing. You know, a lot of people like it, but I don't know if it's for you. Wait, hold on a moment. Don't, don't, you know, just a moment there. Take it away a little. Or just really take back your own, your own peace of mind. He'll either do one of two things, either play with you or not, but you can have your peace of mind. So. Well, great, okay, we have to go. Well, this is, I like hanging out with you like this. <laughs> yeah. It's much better than talking about sloth and torpor, at least for tonight. So, um, okay, let's close with a little loving kindness. Mm. Just feel your, your own goodness of heart. Bring you here on a Thursday night to meditate with friends and share the truth together. Just really delight in that for a moment. And wish yourself well. May I open up to all the goodness and peace inside. May I share my love well. May I stay connected to what I need to take care of myself so I can take care of others as skillfully as possible through my own clarity. And then sending thoughts of well-wishing out near and far as I want happiness may all find happiness. As I want peace, may all have peace in their lives. May all take care of themselves with love and kindness and wisdom and share their love well. May all see their true nature. And may our coming here together be of benefit to ourselves, everyone in our lives, and all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy.